The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. The scripture reading for today is out of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you're following along on the books under the chairs, it's on page 911, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. It's the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So this is our fourth week in our study of the book of Acts called Jesus Continued. And uh, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to put some honest, uh, honesty up, up front for you guys this morning. This, I'm starting to get a little, a little antsy at this point. I'm starting to get a little antsy because there's nothing in the world that excites me and frustrates me more than the book of Acts. Uh, because when I, I read it, and we've been reading about the, how the church was reborn and how the Spirit of God came and was poured out upon the church and how power was released upon the people by, with the presence of the Holy Spirit and how it started to spill out from them to the community around them. And we ended last week with, uh, with Peter giving a sermon that was, frankly, an okay sermon, but not the most eloquent sermon of all time. He gives a sermon where he talks about Jesus and the Spirit of God is poured out in such a way that 3,000 people become Christians on this first day of the new church. 3,000 people. And the first day, Peter's one little sermon, he is more effective, if you want to put it that way, he's more effective than Jesus had been in his whole life. Jesus left a church of about, say, 500 or so. And on the first day of the church, the first day where the Spirit is poured out and Peter preaches a sermon, 3,000 people become believers. And I read that and I think, wow, that's amazing. Look what Jesus did. Look what the Spirit did. Look what the church became. And then I, frankly, I wonder, why is it so different for us? See, Acts is a historical book. This is not a bunch of fables. This is recording what immediately happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. And all the other ancient histories agree. It's not just the book of Acts. It's not just Christian history, but all the other ancient histories agree that there was, at this point in Jerusalem, from this moment, that there was something powerful that erupted out of Jerusalem that the world had never seen before. Something powerful erupted out of Jerusalem after the crucifixion and the uh, uh, reported ascension of Jesus that was an unstoppable force. There have been other forces that have changed the world. 
there have been empires that conquered lots of land. There have been ideas that have swept the world. There have been concepts, democracy, capitalism, communism, all in their own way have swept the world and have changed the face of the world. We're both positive and negative. But there is nothing that compares to Christianity in the speed and in the way in which it exploded. Within a decade of Jesus' death, in the ancient world, remember there's no telephone, no TV, no internet. The spreading word is only by horseback or, on, or through a ship. Within a decade after Jesus' death and resurrection, the, the word, the truth of Christianity, the Christianity itself was spreading throughout the entire Roman Empire already within a decade of Jesus' death. And it was spread, it wasn't just an idea, it wasn't just a religion. It spread through the changed lives of the disciples themselves. History itself talks about how the spread of Christianity, the other secular historians have, have studied to see what was so powerful about it. Why did it have the effect? Why did it happen so quickly and so powerfully that it did? And, the, and they say that Christianity really spread because the Christians lived better, they died better, and they cared more than anybody else around them. It changed them to their very core. And that was Jesus' plan when before he left, he told his small and motley group of disciples in Acts 1-8, he said, but you, he told them to say, hey, I want you to go into all the world, but he said, first, before you do that, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for me to send the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when, after that, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, that's the area surrounding Jerusalem, and Samaria, that was the neighboring country and, or the region, and to the ends of the earth. That word power, when you will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the original, in the original Greek, that's the word we get dynamic from, or dynamo, or dynamite from. That word means power, it means might, it means strength, it means ability, it means mighty deeds. The word has the feeling of, of it's active, it's lively, it's energetic, it's vital, it's vigorous, it's zestful. And the reason that we, that it stands out so much is that these disciples who Jesus poured out his spirit upon, the promise of the Father, were not the most sterling, capable group of people. This group of 11 apostles, they replaced Judas, then there were 12, there were 120 people in the upper room. They were, they were, they were not the brightest bulbs. They weren't the sharp, sharpest pencils in the box. They had failed Jesus over and over again when the chips were down. The closest one, the man who gives this sermon was the man who denied Jesus three times in the same compound where Jesus was until finally after the third time, Jesus looked at him in the eyes. 
And yet, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them, a power, a vitality, a dynamic energy, a dynamic life is released in them like the world has never seen before. It erupts with a dynamic force here in Acts chapter 2, and then that dynamic power, that dynamic life is released through the lives of these early disciples of Jesus, and it changed the world. In fact, we see later on in Acts when they go to a new city carrying the gospel, the, the people in the cities go to the city leaders and say, those people who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Christianity, by its very nature, by its very DNA, is world-changing, not just on a, like a worldwide scale, but it's world-changing in the way it affects and changes people's lives. And I'll be honest, When I read this, I'm stirred by it. I think, yes, that's the DNA. That's the nature of Christianity. That's who we are. That's who we're called to be. That's that's the the spirit, that's the powerful, dynamic life that dwells in me as a believer and dwells as us as believers and dwells in us as the church. But then, I'll be honest, I look at myself and I look around me and I become completely frustrated because there's like a huge gulf that appears between the dynamic life that we see here and the life that I often find that I'm living and the people around me are living. It's sort of like, have you ever, have you ever been sitting like, and you watch, you're watching like HGTV and you see like the amazing remodel that they're doing or the house that they're buying, like on the ocean front, and it's just like an infinity pool, and, and, you, and you're like, you're just caught up in the moment, and then like you, you, you get up to use the bathroom or you look around, you're like, I live in a dump. Or even worse, have you ever been sitting like watching Food Network or something and you're watching them make some amazing meal or visit some amazing restaurant while you're eating? And you see the food that they're eating or they're making and you look down at what you're eating and you're like, this is, this is terrible. There's like a huge, like you're watching people eat sumptuous, amazing food or live in an amazing house and you look around you and it's like a million miles away from where you are. That's the way I feel sometimes about the book of Acts. I'm incredibly stirred by it, but I get incredibly frustrated by it at the same time. But if this is the DNA of Christianity, shouldn't shouldn't our experience of Christianity have the same flavor? I don't expect it to look the same as it does here because I love the Narnia books. Anybody read the Narnia books? You know that you never get back to Narnia the same way twice. That they first get through the, the wardrobe, but they never get back into Narnia through the wardrobe. It's always a different way. God moves differently at different times and different seasons. It looks different each time, but it has the same flavor to it. And I believe that this should be our experience of Christianity. Because in fact, every single awakening or revival of Christianity in history has been a rediscovering of this dynamic life that we see in Acts, and we see particularly in this passage today. See, our great problem, and we have a lot of problems, right? 
problems at a global scale, problems as a country, problems individually in our families, in our lives. But our problems are not a political problem. Our problems are not an economic problem. Our problem is not a social problem. Our problem is a church problem. Because when the church has this kind of flavor to it, when the church is living this kind of dynamic life, it has amazing and profoundly world-changing effects upon the people who are around us. They can't help but to see it, and even if they don't understand it, they wish they could be a part of it. And that's why it's so important for us to be studying Acts so we can rediscover the DNA of this dynamic life for ourselves. I'm, I'm glad I'm frustrated. I, I hope you'll be frustrated too because frustration is the first step to change. We're too frustrated with the status quo for it to go along any longer. And I pray that we can find the answers to these questions today. This question, what made the life of this group of disciples so dynamic? And is this possible today? What made the life of this group of disciples so dynamic? And is this possible today? And hopefully we'll answer those questions by seeing three things. Uh, first of all, what is the source of this dynamic community? What's the marks of this dynamic community? And thirdly, what are the results of this dynamic community? What's the source, the marks, and the results of this dynamic community? First of all, the source of this dynamic community. How does someone become a Christian? We see this shown to us in this passage that we're in today and the passage previously preceding it. We see Peter, as he stands up, the Holy Spirit has fallen, they're speaking with all kinds of unknown tongues they do not understand. The people hear them praising God in their own language. They're wondering what's going on and Peter stands up and he gives a sermon. And at the end of the sermon, the people are asking, what must we do? Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them in verse 38 of chapter two, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. How do you become a Christian? Is it, uh, do, do you become a Christian by joining something? Joining a church or a club or, you know, uh, I don't know, the, sending in your information to some televangelist on TV, and that's like gets you into the club? Is, is, is it like joining something? Is it a prayer that you pray? Hey, I prayed a prayer. Is it a a box that you check off on some card or some response card at a church? Is it a belief that you adhere to? Like, hey, I believe this. I I used to believe that there was no God or I used to believe in a different God and now I believe in Jesus. No, first of all, becoming a Christian is something that happens to you. 
Peter gave this sermon, and these people, it's interesting that he says in the sermon, this Jesus whom you crucified. So not everybody in the crowd, but a number of the people in the crowd had heard Jesus and had seen him, had heard him teach, and had called for him to be killed. They had heard Jesus himself, the Son of God, teach and preach the gospel, and they did not believe In fact, they called for him to be crucified. And yet this day, Peter, this fisherman who's uneducated and has denied Jesus three times, this Peter gets up and preaches a sermon, and it says before this section that they were cut to the heart. Christianity is something that happens to you. It may have been a message that you've heard a thousand times, but one day you hear it and it cuts you to the heart. You see Jesus afresh and anew for who he really is and you see yourself for who you really are through lenses that you never saw before. You see, you see Jesus, you didn't pay him any attention or you, uh, didn't even, you didn't think about him at all or you scorned him, you mocked him, you made fun of him and all of a sudden one day you think, how could I ever make fun or not pay attention to him? Jesus is the son of God and you're cut to the heart for the way that you have lived and responded to him with a hard neck and a hard heart rebelling against him. You see your own sin and your need of a savior. You confess him as Lord and your own personal savior. Christianity is something that happens to you. It's not something that you make happen. It's not a decision that you make or a club that you join or a new belief that you believe with your mind. It's something that happens and experience within the depths of your soul. The spirit of God opens your eyes to see who Jesus is and who you are, and that's called the new birth. Christianity is not simply believing something. It is being born again by the Spirit of God. These disciples who had failed Jesus over and over again, who had walked with him for three years and yet couldn't stay with him while the chips were down and he was being turned over to the authorities to be crucified, who scattered and ran, yet when the new birth occurred to them, they stand up boldly in the streets and declare, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. A change occurred in them and to them that they could not have made happen if they had wanted to. It's the miracle of the new birth. The Holy Spirit brought about a new birth in disciples and the Holy Spirit brought about a new birth in the 3,000 people that responded on this first day. It brought a new life they did believe something. They, all of a sudden, they heard the truth of who Jesus was and what he did, and they believed it. But it went deeper and further than just like simply believing something with their mind. It went far deeper. They experienced a new life. That's what Christianity is. It's a religion, but it's far more than a religion. It's a set of beliefs, but it is far deeper than a set of beliefs. It's nothing less than experiencing a new life in your soul where God's spirit breathes upon you and like he breathed into the mouth of Adam and he gave him life where there was none before, he breathed into your soul and he gives you life where there was none before. The new birth gave them life but it also it changed the center of their lives. What's the center of your life? What do you revolve your life around? 
Some of us in here, we're experienced Christians. We know like the Sunday school, the church answer, the answer is Jesus, right? But like for real, the real answer, not the right answer, the real answer, what do you really revolve your life around? What's the great center of gravity that you find yourself revolving around like the planets revolve around the sun with some pull to it? Is it a person? Is it a career? Is it your kids? Is it your education? Is it your looks? Is it being popular? Is it having fun? Is it recreation? I don't know what it is, but if we could be really honest with ourselves, what is the center of your life? What does your world revolve around? When you become a Christian, there is a radical recentering of our lives from being around really ourselves. Because all those things that, we're, that we re- revolve around, sports, money, career, education, looks, popularity, all those things are really revolving around ourselves. When we become Christians, there's a radical altering of our, the center of our life where we are revolving our lives. The center of gravity in our lives is no longer ourselves and our wants and our desires and our drives and our, our everything. It becomes saying that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's what Peter says back in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's when they heard that, they were cut to the heart. Have you experienced that radical reordering of your life? If not, then you're not a believer. You may mentally believe all the right things, but you've not experienced the new life that causes you to be recentered around Jesus. I heard somebody say this past week, God hasn't called us to make Jesus first in our lives. He's called us to make Jesus the center of our lives. And there's a huge difference there. He doesn't get first dibs if you're a Christian, he gets all the dibs. I don't know if that's the thing, but he gets them all. And he gets them willingly, not through gritted teeth. Because when you've experienced the new life of Christ, you willingly and gladly make Jesus the center of your entire life. You find joy in that. New birth gave them new life. It changed the center of their lives, but it also brought a new affiliation. For them, it would have been a marked big thing as a Jew who is believing in the one true God and you're waiting for the Messiah to come, but the way that Jesus came was so far outside their understanding that they, it was hard for them even to connect the dots, And so for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus was to declare their affiliation away from Judaism as they knew it, away from their family as they knew it perhaps, because perhaps they would be disowned by their family, to a radical affiliation to Jesus. And it didn't matter what de-affiliations occurred if they were affiliated to Jesus. Have you experienced that? Christian, is he, is he 
Do you feel the pull away from him being the center? And do you feel the pull away from aligning your affiliations with somebody or something other than Jesus? But when we become Christians, it doesn't just change our affiliation to Jesus himself. It changes our affiliations to his people. There's no concept of Christianity apart from the church because a great love for Jesus always brings a great love for his people. That's the source of this dynamic community. But then let's look at the marks in our passage today, the marks of this dynamic community. Let's start in verse 42. So this is the group of 120 plus 3,000 people that have now become believers on the first day. So 3,120 approximately believers here in Jerusalem, and it gives us a glimpse into what their life looked like. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, first of all, the thing that stands out to me, the marks of this dynamic community, these are the marks that you always see in the dynamic community of Jesus, the dynamic life of his disciples is at the very, very beginning in verse 42, and they devoted themselves. This radical change in the center of their lives and this radical change in the, their affiliation to Jesus and his people resulted in a great devotion. I wonder what we devote ourselves to. I'll be honest. Many days and many weeks, I'm devoted to my own personal pleasure and comfort and security. I, I may work hard at work, but I'm working hard so I can get home and rest. I come home and the temptation is to go through the motions and have dinner and put the kids down so that I can have my time. I devote myself oftentimes to my own personal pleasure and comfort. What do you devote yourself to? When the radical life, the radical life-giving spirit of God is moving and pulsing within us and it creates this new, this fresh and new centering of Jesus in our lives and a radical reaffiliation with Jesus and his people, it always, 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 always results in a brand new revived devotion. What does it mean to be devoted to something? It means to give yourself to something. These disciples gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with the other disciples, with the breaking of bread and with prayers, not because anybody was making them do it, they did it because they had found life and joy in the person of Jesus, and they wanted to grow in that. They wanted to be connected to that. 
that had devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. That means to doctrine, the, the teaching that had been handed down from Jesus to the apostles. They wanted to hear what did Jesus have to say. They had been given new life, and now they wanted to find out all about it. Have you ever, like, I don't know, maybe you're not put on the hook the same way. Like, I, I'm a person who I, I, I'm, like, into certain things. Like I, but, but, like, they, they don't last forever. It's like, hey, this week I'm really excited about so-and-so, and I'm online studying all that I can about it. I'm, de- I'm devoted. I want to I learn about it. I, you know, I, 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 love, I love coffee, and so I taste some new coffee, and I want to find out all about that. I go to new cities, and I'll find out where's, this, where's the good coffee here in Austin? Where's the good coffee here? I'm, de- I'm I, I, Because this. I have this passion for it. I'm devoting myself to it. And if you have a passion for Jesus, you will be devoted to the teaching or the doctrine of who he is and what he has done for you. You want to know about this life. You want to know about who he was and what he has done. You want to know how you can grow in this life and how you can be connected to him. You'll find joy in hearing sermons, whether great or poor. You'll find joy in finding, learning about him whatever way you possibly can. They wanted to learn more about this Jesus and this new life they'd been given, and they wanted the good news to be declared and taught because they had experienced the joy found in Jesus and the presence and power of his Holy Spirit, and they wanted, they deeply desired that to be declared and shared. Can you imagine what it would be like to find life and hope where there was none before? If you're a Christian, that's what's happened to you. And wouldn't you want other people to hear that and experience it for themselves? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or doctrine. They devoted themselves to the fellowship or fellowship. That word there is a Greek word called koinonia. And the picture there is participation, it's communion, it's association, it's a deep sharing. They, it, it tells us in verse in verse uh, 44, and all who believed were together. They were together, and they had all things in common. What we see here is a beautiful unity, the, the picture of, of sharing life in Christ and being devoted to him also means that I'm now devoted and affiliated in a deep fellowship and a deep sharing with the other believers. If, 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 if you got word right now that someone had transferred to your bank account $10 million, it is fully, your bank account is fully funded, $10 million are in your bank account right now, would it, maybe you are put on the hook like really miserly, but would it bother you to like take somebody out to lunch? What if somebody told you, not only has your bank account been filled with $10 million, but every single penny you spend from now on out, it will be replaced in the bank account. You will never get to the bottom, never deplete your funds. That's what it's like to become a Christian. You have a joy and a peace. Your future is in heaven with Christ. It cannot be destroyed or taken away. Moss can't eat it. Nobody can come in and steal it. It is banked forever in heaven. You can't, you can't give away enough because it's constantly being refilled. Because what does it matter if 
I give away a worldly possession if I have all the possessions that I can ever imagine in heaven with Christ. That kind of deep love of God and for God resulted in a deep love for each other and a sense that they had, they had unending possessions in heaven waiting for them and it caused them to be absolutely willing. Nobody made them. There was no covenant they had to sign, no, no deed they had to, like, to join the church. You gotta give over all your, they willingly said, hey, you have a need, I have an extra house. I'll sell it and I'll provide something for you. They shared all in common as, and they shared freely and voluntarily with those who had need. Isn't that beautiful? In Acts chapter four, it tells us that there was not a needy person among them because they were doing this. What would it look like for us as a church to see that there was no needy person among us because we are so filled with the love of God and a love for each other and a sense of unending possessions in heaven that we felt that to give something away was not to give it away. It wasn't to lose anything, but it was to gain. It resulted from them having a, a common love of God. They were commonly loved by God and they had a common love back to God and that resulted in a common love for each other which built into a common care for each other. God loves me, therefore I love you. Therefore, we will commonly care for each other. It's a beautiful thing and I've seen it in action I've seen people in need who were provided for by other believers, and then years down the road, they were the ones who were able and willing to turn around and bless and care for those in need around them. It's a beautiful picture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. This new life was a part of their lives. This picture of the breaking of bread was a picture of them sharing meals together, but it also has a picture of them sharing the Lord's Supper together. And the beautiful thing there is that we can't really separate one from the other. They were getting together from house to house, day by day, and sharing meals together with, it says, glad and generous hearts, and celebrating the Lord's Supper together. We see a beautiful blending of the sacred and the secular together in their everyday lives. There was a, no difference between the secular part of their lives and the sacred part of their lives. It was a blending them together. Their Christianity went home with them and filled the way they had meals and the way they viewed their homes and how they invited people over. And the joy spilled over into the meals themselves as they shared with them with glad and generous hearts. It was marked by gladness and joy and thankfulness. And then it says they devoted themselves to prayers. And the, it says they happened in the temple and it happened in their home. So they would happen in the temple, a large group of people. Remember, this is a mega church from day one, 3,000 people. where they would, they would gather regularly, daily in the temple to hear the apostles teaching. And then they would scatter through the day and through the week and break bread together in each other's homes with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They devoted themselves to the prayers, to worshiping together, to praising God together. They devoted themselves to that. And then it says that awe came upon them all. 
And this marks the greatest change in their lives. God was with them. It wasn't just that they were listening to teaching and praying and breaking bread and hanging out at each other's homes. There was a sense in all of that of awe. You know what awe is? Awe is a sense of a fear, a sense of terribleness and beauty at the same time. I was reading to my daughter last night in The Horse and His Boy from the Narnia series. And Shasta, who's been a slave all his life, he finally meets Aslan. It's near the end of the book. I'd love to read the whole passage to you guys. It's so beautiful to me. But he says when he, he first hears Shasta walking beside him, when he first hears Aslan, who's Jesus, walking beside him in the fog, and he can't see him, and they talk for a bit, and finally the fog starts to clear, and he looks over. He sees a light, and he thinks the sun is rising, but he looks over, and the light is coming from Aslan himself, and he looks at him, and he falls on his face, and it says it is both beautiful and terrible all at the same time. And that's what it's like to have a sense of awe in our midst. It's that something in the air. When we know we've been with Jesus, and the people around us may not know how to define it or what it, or how to talk about it even, how to phrase it. They may not know how to category for it, but they feel and sense and taste something themselves. Something is different here. It's not just in the actions of these people. It's in the sense of the divine presence in their midst. These are the marks of a dynamic community of Jesus, but they, they're not really a recipe. We can't say, all right, let's devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, and then we'll have awe, and all this cool stuff will happen. We see that new life precedes these marks. They devote themselves, but the devotion is a result of the new life, and the new life we see is a result of great and deep repentance. There's great and deep repentance in Peter and his, look at just Peter himself. He denied Christ three times. Jesus looks at him in the eye and later on after he has, after he has risen, he talks with Peter. Peter has a deep sense of repentance. And these 3,000 people who become Christians, they hear Peter preaching and they say, it says they were cut to the heart, and they say, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. We can, just really quickly, we can personally work backwards from some of these marks in our own lives to see where repentance is needed. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? to learning and growing as a disciple and who Jesus was and what he has done and who you are and the scripture? If not, why not? Is it because that you think that your way is the best way? You think you can really like 
I'm really afraid to study this or don't want to study it because I feel too convicted? Are you devoted to the fellowship of the believers together? Why not? You think, hey, I don't, want to, I don't need to be around people. I don't really like people. I'm a, more of an introvert. I, somebody's hurt me in the past. You don't know my church hurt. Look, I'm not denying any of those things, but if there is a, a blockage in your desire and drive to be among the fellowship of believers and a deep sharing of life together, if there's some blockage in you, uh, are you afraid to be around other people and see their needs because you might feel like you have to give to them? If so, then there's some sort of blockage in your life with Christ that's causing that. Are you devoted to the breaking of bread together with people and sharing your life? If not, is it because you view a sort of dichotomy or a distance between being, hey, church is church and work is work and church is church and romance is romance and church is church and entertainment is entertainment. There's a, different, there's a distance between them. You don't see a great integration between them. Are you devoted to prayers and worship and praising God? If not, it's because you really think that you can live life on your own independent from him. It's because there's some pattern of sin in your life that's causing you to have a blockage in your desire and drive, a dam in the life of Christ in your life that's causing you not to want to worship and praise because there's some sort of a separation and blockage between you and your will and God's. These marks aren't, we can't follow them as a pattern and experience the dynamic life but we can see where there's a distance between us and those marks as barometers of our life with Christ and where there is places where we need to repent and change. We rediscover the dynamic life of Jesus when we repent of the other things that, have been, that we have been serving and worshiping other than Jesus. And lastly and quickly, we saw the source of this dynamic community. We see the marks of this dynamic community. We see the results of this dynamic community. This new life that the believers experienced created a new lifestyle, a new community or society among the believers. But th- so think of how this affected the people around them. How would... 3,000 people who experienced new life in Jesus have been reborn into the new birth and, have, and then therefore devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. And they have a sense of awe about them and they're sharing with each other as, has, as each person has need and they're breaking bread in their homes and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. They're praising God. Think of how their neighbors and their family members and their coworkers would have reacted to that. If you see a dynamic change in the life of the people that you live beside or live with or work beside, you see that among the community, a new community of people they're a part of, that nobody among them has any need, that people are willingly and gladly and generously sharing with each other, that they're devoting themselves to worship this guy named Jesus. And what's going on with this? How would your family? And your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers react if they saw this kind of dynamic life released in your life 
and in our, the community of people that we're a part of. It makes sense that it says they were, having, they were praising God in verse 47 and having favor with all the people. It doesn't mean that all the people, not all the people became Christians, but all the people saw the effect that this life had on their friends' lives and in the community surrounding them. And they said, man, there's something good about that, even if I don't believe it. And it says that the Lord added, the Lord added. They devoted themselves, but God added. Remember, Christianity isn't something that we do or believe. It's something that happens to us and in us. It's all the handiwork of God. And the Lord added to their number day by day or daily. Wouldn't this be awesome if it was our story? If we could say of our church and our fellowship that day by day, daily, we've seen, we're seeing people added to our number, those who are being saved. Think about it. To be saved means you've been delivered. It means you've been recovered. It means you've been healed, made whole. You've found safety. If you experience this dynamic life of the new community of Jesus, what kind of joy would be released in your life and in the community around us? Many people that surround us, they have a vague sense of their own hopelessness. Most Americans, they, we self-medicate that with all kinds of things to distract ourselves from our sense of hopelessness. But we all have a vague sense of our own hopelessness. If they could see true hope and life in us, in our community, man, then God could add daily Day by day, those who are being saved in our community. If you haven't experienced that today, I pray you would become a believer today. What made the life of this group of disciples so dynamic? And is it possible today? What made this life, the life of this group of disciples so dynamic is that the Spirit and presence of God had so changed them and so motivated them and so rearranged their lives so their lives looked drastically different as they lived with a sense of the presence and awe of God in their lives. And is it possible today? Absolutely. Let's devote ourselves to that and accept nothing less personally and nothing less as a church. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.